Deuteronomy 34 and the verse 1. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab onto the mountain of Nebo to the top of Pisgah that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea, and the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, unto Zoar. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of a sepulcher unto this day. And Moses was an hundred and twenty years old when he died, as I was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent them to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and in all that mighty hand, and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. Amen. We know that God will bless his word to our hearts. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray you'll bless it to us, and may we hear your voice. For Christ's sake, amen. Today we're going to think about Moses. This journey through the biographies of Scripture brings us to this man who is a colossus in terms of world history, in terms of Christian history, in terms of Hebrew history. There are few men who were as great as Moses. And his life, I believe, is summarized in verse 10 of Deuteronomy 34, and there arose not a prophet since in Israel, like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. How many people is it recorded of them that they knew the Lord face to face? That is a remarkable accolade indeed. The life of Moses is a life of great variety and diversity. His story is an adventure from start to finish. Born in the home of slaves, in a time when the Pharaoh had given a decree that all of the little boys born of Hebrew parentage, Hebrew ancestry, were to be drowned alive in the river. The situation in which he was born and yet he became a prince of Egypt. He was adopted by a princess, but at the same time, he was nursed and raised by his godly mother, Jochebed, whom we learned about last week. He never 
forgot his roots, never was allowed to forget his roots. And that's a great recommendation for anyone. Wherever we go in life, we must never forget where we have come from, the influences that have shaped us. Moses never forgot where he came from. Even as a prince, he knew he belonged to the people of God. He was a reluctant individual. He lacked in self-confidence. He regarded his abilities as a speaker to be very poor and meager, telling the Lord, I am of slow speech. And yet he became this mighty prophet who was feared amongst Israel, respected, revered. And his very enemies, they feared the name Moses. He was a shepherd. He was out there in the wilderness looking after the flocks of his father-in-law. And yet he became a great judge. And he became the, the lawgiver of Israel. And the law that he received, written with the very fingers of God upon those tablets of stone at Mount Sinai, that law is written upon the hearts and consciences of every individual throughout the world. For wherever you go and wherever there is civilization, you will find echoes of that great law that Moses gave to Israel. He was a leader. He was a man who led two and a half million people through the wilderness. He was a prophet. He was God's spokesman. He was a priest. For while he did not take up the role of the priesthood in the same way that, that Aaron did, for Aaron was the high priest, yet he was the interceder who stood between the people and God, praying for them, pleading for them, being like Christ. He had an angry, passionate nature. He was a man who, who could be stirred. He was a man who, whom you would not like to cross, as we would say. And early on in his life, his passions got a hold of him, and he killed an Egyptian slave master, committed murder, and that got him into all kinds of trouble. But yet, those instincts for anger and for passion were harnessed and subdued by the Spirit of God. And so it is said of him that he became the meekest of all men. He became the founder of a nation. Up until this point in time, Israel were a family. Under the patriarchs, they were a family, a growing family. In Egypt, they became a mighty family. But Moses founded Israel as a theocracy, not a democracy. Democracy is where the, the people have the vote and where power rests with the people. Not a monarchy. A monarchy is where a nation is presided over by a king or a queen. A theocracy is where a nation is ruled by God alone and where God calls prophets to bring his word to that nation. Moses founded Israel as a theocracy. It's the purest expression of how a nation ought to be governed, a theocracy. He appears in all of the Scriptures. Of course, the Pentateuch is very much his story. He was a writer. He was a biographer. He, he wrote his own life story. He was an historian. He was a theologian. 
We have his writings from Genesis through to Deuteronomy. He was a poet as well. The Psalm 90 is his work, and possibly 91, but we certainly know that the Psalm 90 is his work. But we have him mentioned throughout the Scriptures. Constantly, the, the prophets hark back to Moses. The kings, whenever the monarchy was instituted, were always reminded of Moses and his law. The shadow of Moses hangs over the whole of the Old Testament. And then we have him mentioned in the Gospels. You see him in the very life of Christ as he appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah face to face with Jesus. The Lord refers to the law of Moses. In the book of Revelation, we have the song of Moses and the Lamb, which the people of God are singing in glory. And St. John makes this remarkable statement in John chapter 1, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He prepared the way for the Savior. There are few individuals like Moses. And it is our task today to, to draw some lessons from the life of this man who was such a giant for God. And there is no better place to come to than Deuteronomy 32, 34, verse 10. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel, like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And if you cast your eyes down the Scriptures to Joshua chapter 1, the verse 2, Joshua was called to lead the nation after Moses' death. And God simply said, Moses, my servant, is dead. My servant. Whatever he was, however great he was, he was the servant of God. That's all he was. God's servant. That's all any of us are called to be. Whatever walk of life we are in, we're called to be God's servants. That's what it means to be face to face with God. A few simple thoughts about the life of this man. First of all, we have his, his preparation. God spent 80 years preparing Moses for his life's work. It is often said that Moses spent 40 years learning to be somebody. He became a prince. He was educated in all of the learning of the Egyptians, and the Egyptians were the greatest nation on earth at that time. He learned how to speak the language of the Egyptians. He knew about the culture of the Egyptians. And that would stand him in good stead for a later time, whenever he would stand before the emperor of Egypt. He spent 40 years learning to be somebody, but then he had to spend 40 years learning to be nobody in the backside of the desert, in that place where the ground was brown all the time, where he would lead the flock of his father-in-law looking for a little bit of grass and the reason why he was in that wilderness was because of his own sin, was because of his own temper getting the grip of him. And so he was banished from Egypt. 
And the man who was a prince had to learn to be a shepherd. There's a very simple lesson there. God had to break Moses before he could be useful. He had to learn that he was nobody. Whatever privileges he had, whatever riches he had in Egypt, that was of no value. If he could not, first of all, learn that he had to be a tool in God's hand, wholly surrendered unto him. God broke him before he could be useful. And there was a providence in it all. There was a providence in his parentage. There was a providence in the fact he was born at the time he was born. When the little boys were under so much threat, the very nation itself was in the grip of extinction. There was a providence in the fact that he was sent away out of Egypt because God was molding and preparing him and making him for that time when he would be the prophet leading God's people. And we need to learn that lesson in our lives. Whatever situation we're facing, there's a providence at work. And God is preparing his people for something else. Something else that you don't know about. Something else you haven't yet seen. And yet, God is molding us and shaping us. As God's people, we are constantly the clay in the hand of the potter. And sometimes, God has to break us that he might remake us. And we need to be willing to pray that prayer. Lord, I want to be used by you. But deal with me as you see fit, that I might be a servant who will serve you better. And this is what happened to Moses. He was prepared. Then there was his commission. He was commissioned at the burning bush. And if you come with me over to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Exodus 3, and the verse 1. Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire. The bush was not consumed. And he was standing on holy ground. He had to take the shoes off his feet because he was right there in the presence of God. God spoke to him from out of that bush. That day began just like any other day. For 40 years, he had gone out leading those flocks. 40 years, a long time. Forty years he went out under the burning heat of that sun. Forty years he went out looking for water. Forty years he went out looking for grass. Forty years. That was going to be it. So he thought. Then God came. Spoke to him. Put his finger upon him. Said, Moses, I'm calling you to return to Egypt. And to set my people free. It was a great task. And this was a spiritual renewal in the life of Moses, but it also marked the beginning of a spiritual renewal in the lives of God's people. 
Because when we turn over in our scriptures to Exodus chapter 4 and the verse 29, and Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spake. Remember, Moses said, I can't speak. And God said, well, I'll send you Aaron to speak for you. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. That's one of the first examples of revival in the Scripture. The people of God, for all these years, have been suffering servitude under the, the whip of their Egyptian masters. And it was as if this was going to be it for them, just as Moses thought he was going to be in that wilderness for the rest of his life, looking after sheep. So they thought they were going to feel that whip for the rest of their lives and for the rest of their existence. But then God sent them a man, a man whom God had prepared, a man whom God had spoken to. They bowed their heads and worshipped. God had looked upon their affliction. God sends revival, sometimes at the least expectant moment. There is revival coming for this land and for this nation. I believe that with all of my heart. Whatever the dark and the dismal state of the times in which we live in, however dark it might be, it doesn't mean it's always going to be like this. Morning breaks again. Christ comes. Revival stirs His people. God looks upon us in our affliction. The people were humbled. God had thought upon them. And God thinks upon us, and He cares for us. And what a blessing that is. And then there is the authentication. God made it abundantly clear that Moses was His servant. God continually authenticated the servant of God. He gave him authority. He showed to everyone that he was called. Moses was one of the greatest miracle workers in Scripture. Outside of our Lord himself, was there anyone who performed more miracles than Moses? It was an astonishing life. When you think of the ten plagues that visited Egypt, and how that great and proud nation was brought down to economic disaster, humiliated, because of one man whom God was using. We think of the parting of the Red Sea. If there is one miracle that stands out in the life of Moses that also stands out in the whole history of the Old Testament, it is the parting of the Red Sea, with Pharaoh behind them and with the sea before them. The people feared that they were going to be lost, God intervened and parted the sea. And so the people passed over in dry land. The waters crashed in, drowning the armies of the mighty Pharaoh. And throughout the Old Testament, this is shown as an example of God's power at work. For example, if you come with me over to the book of Joshua, chapter 2 and the verse 10, I want to show you something. 
People say this is some kind of legend, this is some kind of myth. And incidentally, Moses is one of the most attacked people in Scripture. The liberals and, and the apostates, they try to pour scorn upon Moses. Never was such a man. He, he didn't write all of those books that Christians say and Jews say he wrote. And so Moses becomes a very maligned figure. Of course, we understand why that's the case, because if all this is true, then it shows us there's a great God out there. And if you take Moses away, you have to take Christ away, for Christ treated Moses as an historic figure. So we believe in Christ, we have to believe in Moses. The two stand together, as the whole Bible fits together. But it's interesting, whenever you look at Joshua chapter 2 and the verse 10, the first spies have come to Jericho to spy out the land after the death of Moses. And this takes place 40 years after the Red Sea was parted. And Rahab the harlot, she speaks to these spies, and she says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. They had heard, because they knew it happened. It did happen. They were in fear and trembling ever since that moment. If these people ever visit us, we're going to be in trouble. Their God has done this for them. God authenticated His servant, authenticated Israel, that He was with them. Whenever God calls you to do something and commissions you, puts you into a work to do for Him, no one's going to stop you because God gives you that authority that you need to carry it through. If the work is of God, it'll never fail, it'll never collapse. Moses stood as one man leading a slave nation against the greatest power in the world at that time, faced down the most powerful leader in the world, Moses inexplicably won because God was with him. And whatever the powers of darkness are that are arrayed against the cause of truth, the cause of truth will always prevail because, as Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? But let's also pause for a moment and consider Moses' the vilification. His path was a lonely path. The leadership role that God gave him was a hard road to tread. He was greatly misstood and misrepresented. Never was there a leader who had as many problems leading keeping his nation under control as Moses. He even faced it at the very beginning of his calling when he made his way back to Egypt with his wife. His wife turned against him. She didn't stand with the Lord's servant. He had that problem from the outset. But it was the people of God themselves, the people that he was called to lead, they proved to be so fickle and so difficult 
For example, the Lord, as we have said, renewed the people's faith when Moses came. But it was going to be a, a difficult struggle to get released. And there's going to be ups and downs in that struggle. That's how it's always going to be. If you do work for God, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be battles, and there's going to be uphills, and there's going to be discouragements. It's going to happen. As long as there's a devil, there's going to be problems. And Pharaoh, when he was first approached by Moses to let the people go, Pharaoh just made life harder for the children of Israel. He, he made them go and look for the straw to make their bricks. And things got tougher. And then you look at Exodus chapter 5 and the verse 20. And they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savour to be a power in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. So then Moses had to get before God and bring all this to the Lord and pray over it. They, they said, what are you doing? Things are getting worse. You came here to help us, and look, look what's happening. He was losing support already. He had to face that. He had to face that kind of struggle constantly. For example, if you come back to Exodus chapter 14 and, and, and the verse 10, They came to the Red Sea. Pharaoh was behind them. Look what they said to Moses in verse 11. Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? We'd have been better off staying in Egypt and dying in Egypt than being here today in this wilderness beside this sea. Is this what you've led us to do? You see, there was this constant spirit in the heart of so many in Israel where they refused to believe what God would do. They refused to believe the word the Lord was bringing them through his servants. And there was that spirit that would later be called the spirit of grumbling. Just go over to Exodus chapter 16. Look at verse 2. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Why were they murmuring? Because they hadn't enough food. Didn't have enough food. They said, we were slaves in Egypt, but we had flesh pots there. We had meat there. And now you're going to kill us with hunger in this wilderness. And they simply didn't believe God. Didn't believe what God would do. But God was gracious. God was good to them. And God sent them the manna. And the manna never ceased until the day that they entered into the promised land. But yet, if you come over with me to Numbers chapter 11. And the verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. The mixed multitude, this was Egyptians that came with them out of the land of Egypt. And the children of Israel also wept again. So they were influenced by this mixed multitude. And they said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Oh, 
They were really in a bad way now. But now our soul is dried away, and there's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. So they said, we're hungry, and God gave them manna. And then after they had the manna, they says, we want flesh now. We're not happy with the manna. It's a little insight into human nature, isn't it? Human nature can be so fickle, so discontented. The manna was given to them by God, and yet they didn't appreciate what God had given. The spirit of murmuring, the spirit of grumbling. You look at Numbers 11, verse 1, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. God is displeased with the complaining spirit. He doesn't like it. And Moses had his greatest challenge of all at Kadesh Barnea when he brought the children of Israel to the very borders of the promised land after a few months in the wilderness. And the people, they said it's a bad land. It's not a good land. Again, democracy had its way. Ten spies out of twelve said, this is a bad land. And two spies said it's a good land. The people went with the majority report, but the majority was wrong. The majority was wrong. The minority, Joshua and Caleb, were the men that were right. They were blessed greatly for the stand that they took, and the people went with the majority, and God sent them back into that wilderness for 40 years until the whole generation died that had left Egypt. And Moses spent those 40 years digging graves as two and a half million died, and the Lord raised up another two and a half million to go into the promised land. And he had to face all of that, vilified, but he stuck to the post. He stayed with it, and he still loved those people. They were his people that God had given to him, an amazing man of fortitude. And then, finally, let's think of how he was submitted. He was a very submissive man. There's a great comment upon the the character of Moses, the man that God molded in Numbers chapter 12 and the verse 3. Now, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. He was the meekest man. And this particularly is within the context of, of Aaron and Miriam. They were displeased because of a wife that he had taken, an Ethiopian lady. And Moses took the abuse he got from them, and he showed tremendous meekness. He was meek in the face of the providences of God. Even when things were going against him, he had a calm spirit, passionate in a sense, but he kept himself calm when under this kind of personal pressure. It's a great attribute to have, brethren and sisters. It's never good to lose the run of ourselves. We end up saying things we should never say. But there was a time when Moses behaved as he shouldn't have behaved. And if you come with me over to the book of Numbers, chapter 20, and the verse 11. We are told there in that passage that Moses smoked the rock twice. He smoked the rock twice. But God was displeased with Moses because he smoked the rock twice, and we know 
that he did not see the promised land because he did that very thing. And yet, there is never a record of Moses rebelling against the Lord, saying to the Lord, look, look what I have done. I've led the people all these 40 years. Look what I've put up with. Surely you let me into the promised land. Moses accepted the discipline of God. And we need to accept God's discipline, whatever God has for us. The close of Moses' life is incredible. He went up the mount. He walked to the top of that mountain at 120 years of age. His eye was not dim. His natural force was not abated. He was sharp in every way, despite his age. Yet this was his time to die. And he died on top of that mount. Only was one person with him, that was God. God buried him. And we are told that Michael the archangel fought with Satan for the very body of Moses. Satan wanted to claim his body at the last. God was his only mourner. It was the most private funeral imaginable. God was his undertaker. And at the end, God simply said, Moses, my servant, is dead. There was no big occasion. There was no great orations. He was alone in death with God. The world today applauds its fallen heroes. The deaths of celebrities brings numerous tributes across national media. Highlights the worship of this celebrity that this current generation is addicted to. It seems hardly a week goes past, but the news bulletin somewhere will carry a story of some famous celebrity dying, and we've never heard of them before. And yet they're lifted up. Moses is certainly not lifted up by the secular world in terms of world history. Even when he died himself, there is no big grave or sepulcher. And there's no great gathering. He was alone. That's how it is, you know. That's how it is. I was thinking of Dr. Bill Woods and his memorial service in the martyrs last Sunday afternoon. And just looking at it, good crowd, but place wasn't packed. And yet there was a man, only eternity will reveal what he did for God and what he did for people. But that's how it is. The world glorifies people who write their rock music and sing their songs and pump themselves full of drugs, and the world says what great people they are. But God is a different standard. Let us live for God's standards and be as Moses was. And let us pray, Lord, teach me to see you face to face. Let us bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that you would Write your word upon our hearts. For Christ's sake, amen.